Hello, all you beautiful people. This is Optimistically Depressed, and I am your host, Ruth McMullen. Thanks for tuning in. Um, We've just gotten over a week of some disorder, just because Sean and our oldest um, went away to Calgary for six days, and they had an awesome time. I was home with the boys. We had a great time. But it's funny how when part of the family is away, the house just doesn't really feel the same. And um, the boys and I went and picked up Sean and our daughter from the airport tonight. And immediately once we got back and we all walked in the door, it was like, ah, yes, here we go. We're home now. And uh, but they had an awesome time. And it just makes me remember how much this family means to me and how grateful I am for each of these, uh, like each of my children and for Sean, I really missed him, (laughs) but I don't have to go on about that. Um, yeah, but things have been good. We're enjoying the summer. I got a good old summer cold starting up. Woo. And, um, I've been taking a little bit of a a bit of a mental break, I guess, just kind of focusing on less intense things. I think that my brain kind of needed it. And uh, I'm starting to feel more enthusiastic about getting into more reading again and listening to documentaries and and that kind of thing again. So um, it's overall been good. Um, I've been thinking a lot about just having like being more mindful, I find that I can get lost in my head quite a bit. And it was something, it's funny because it's something that I actually did a lot as a kid where I would be so lost in my own thoughts that I was not even aware of somebody talking to me. I'm not quite there anymore, but I have been like finding that I just get so lost in like all these things I'm thinking about that I'm not really soaking in what's going on around me. And um, I'm, and, uh, so this past week I kind of spent the time trying to be just like to soak everything in. I took the boys to the beach on Monday and I got to just like watch them play in the sand and, um, try to rescue jellyfish. <laughs> and it was just really, it was just really nice. It was refreshing. It was beautiful. And, um, yeah, I, things are starting to get back into a new routine and it's feeling good. So, um, I got to have Emma Jane Morris back on optimistically depressed. And this time she talked about some really interesting, uh, things that she learned about trauma from childhood and trauma in general. And I learned a lot of things that I just didn't know before. And, um, it's making me, it made me kind of rethink again, like how I parent and, um, and also just like it helped me when I was reflecting on my own childhood, what, what things may have had a bit more of an effect on me than I realized. And it's been good though. It's been eye opening, And she also shared some of her personal experiences and, uh, it was, it was very fascinating. And like, I've said this before, but since she has a medical background, it makes, uh, she has like a way of being able to frame everything that 
just it uh, it makes scientific sense. And so I just really appreciate having her back on the show. She's a dear friend as well. And um, she definitely has. Uh, she's had a tough road that she's traveled so far. And the kind of person that she is after all of these all of these things that have happened to her is remarkable. And I'm very honored to have her in my life. So um, I'm very happy to be able to share with you the conversation that her and I had. And I hope that you enjoy. Everybody, guess who's back? Who is it? <laughs> Emma Jane Morris is back. Mm-hmm. The British are back. Yeah, is back. I don't know. British is back. British are back. Maybe all of them are. Maybe. You know what? I don't think being British will ever go out of style. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So there's your thought for the day. <laughs> Will the British ever go out of style? I don't think so. Everyone comment. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know what you think. Let us know. Please comment. Uh, bad accent. Like. I know. It's good. Mixed with hay fever, it's, it's even better. I think. It's, yeah, it's <clears> only <throat> making it better. Like what makes it sound worse, I don't even know. Making, losing the accent would probably make it. Right, not speaking, Mm -hmm. that makes it sound worse, definitely, because we don't get to (laughs) be honored to listen to the the accent. The Queen's English. Mm, Exactly. The only proper English. Oh, yeah. I'm a slob. (laughs) That's fine. I've I've come to my peace with it. I like your accent. Really? Yeah. Okay, this is actually, I've been curious. Okay. Does it sound more like twangy or does it sound more like Irish? Twangy. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, there you have it. We sound twangy. Was that the answer you were looking for? It didn't matter. Okay. I was I'm fine <laughs> with either one. I'm just curious. So, um, how's it going? Uh-huh. Take a sip of water. <laughs> so close. <laughs> so close. And then, uh, okay, how's it going? <laughs> uh, things have been a bit rough emotionally at the eating disorder clinic. The program I'm doing right now, I'm actually on week 15 out of 26. Wow. Actually, tomorrow I'm going into week 16. You were over halfway. That's incredible. It's terrifying. <laughs> What's terrifying about it? And I have to leave and join reality again mm-hmm. like because it, it is reality but I'm not working right now yeah like you know I, I do like some volunteering but I have to join the workforce again yeah and it's yeah it's going to be a big adjustment because I started at the end of February and here we are it's June yeah 11th June 11th what happened? <laughs> I know. It's it's weird. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, things kind of hit fast forward over the past couple months. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, like, I can't 
I can't relate to what you're going through, obviously. But I think there's a certain part that I can kind of relate to when it, it like when it comes to like leaving a certain atmosphere that's more supportive and then going into one that's harsh. Yeah. Like the workforce. I had um, like I primarily stay home with the kids like and I haven't worked outside of the house outside the home for a couple of years and it was difficult being in an office because mm. you're looking for a certain kind of emotional support that's not there yeah it's not there no no and <laughs> it's I think it's something that I I think that companies really do need to work towards that more because people spend most of their lives at work like they yeah. should be able to find that there but um and I and it's it's funny though like at my last uh my last job I actually still talk with my old boss we have a, like my old bosses actually we have like a really great relationship nice. so it's it's funny but it's just it's just yeah the work the workplace is where you need to deliver and mm-hmm. not so much where you get restored I feel like so many people struggle with mental health issues and mental illness and there's really not a lot of support at work. No. And there's just so many people that struggle, yet there's nothing. I mean, maybe some companies are better than others, but no one I've worked for has been super helpful. That's tragic. It's such a real thing. And I, you know, I've actually had a conversation with an employer before who was very respectful of the fact that uh, mental health is a real issue that needs to be addressed, that Mm. they need to be helpful to their employees for. But she was just kind of like, but this is like a whole new aspect of like, um, means that we have to hire more people to have on standby so that Mm -hmm. um, if the person is not having, like needs to take a mental health, day we need to have somebody else who's ready to fill in for them and so it costs them more money and so I have compassion for that dilemma but it's also kind of like but it's necessary like so we just like we need to figure this out right like the system is still of course the system is always going to be broken but I think that this could be the like this should be the next thing that we work towards it's a long time coming how many people like how long have people suffered quietly and yeah, no. mental illness isn't new. Not new. And people are trying to break the stigma, so mm-hmm. people are reaching out more. But I feel like with hiring staff to be on standby, yes, at, in the beginning it probably seems like it's more expensive, but actually when you when someone has to take a day off and someone else has to pick up the slack and they might neglect their job because they're doing someone else's job, and I mm. feel like that's losing more money for a company perhaps than it would be to hire people to be on standby you might be making a very good point there but employers often look short term not long term Hmm. perhaps like government (laughs) but we won't get political (laughs) (laughs) oh scary territory what is scarier mental illness or politics (laughs) politics (laughs) yeah probably mentally ill politics oh my goodness everyone's nightmare so you've been going to the clinic mm-hmm. and how, how do you feel like, how are, how are things going? I feel like I'm able to challenge more what I would call fear foods 
But before going to the clinic, I wouldn't call them fear foods. I would just be like, oh, these are foods that I don't eat. And if I do eat, like I get, I feel like I have to compensate with various behaviors or I just feel very, very anxious. Um, but yeah, today, without realizing it, tackled three fear foods in in two out of two meals, which was perhaps not the best idea, but I, I had a goal for tomorrow to tackle something. And I thought, well, today's the last day. I kind of have to not. I have to keep, like, I have to do it. I can't keep putting it off. And then, yeah, two other ones just kind of happened. Not really by, it wasn't intentional on my part, but it was helpful, but difficult. So what foods would be a fear food? Um, so this morning I challenged a smoothie. Okay. Um, because they don't, I thought they would have, like, set um guidelines like set like you have to have um, this amount in this and then this amount of yogurt fruit whatever and then you put it in or whatever but they didn't actually have like a set thing like everything else is very very structured like you have to have a grain a side a drink for breakfast and like so the smoothie when it came to the smoothie I was like ah can you help me and she's like no we don't really (laughs) maybe start with this and I'm like oh my God, <laughs> this is not help. <laughs> I'm just like flapping around the kitchen. <laughs> Everyone is like, I'm just like, yeah, everyone's moving very slowly around me, but I'm just like freaking out. Um, yeah, because you make your, do you make all of your meals Yeah. in clinic? Yeah. And am I referring to it properly? Yeah, clinic is fine. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and so what part of it is them helping you and what part of it are they expecting you to take on yourself? So they tell us, um, in the beginning, they, they are very like exact with like this portion, you have to have this, et cetera, et cetera. And then you just get to know what the portion sizes are and what's expected of you. And like throughout the kind of like my 26 weeks, I've been like checking if I'm not sure, like today I challenged ice cream. So that would be at lunch. Yeah. And I was like, is this enough? And she's like, do you think you'll be satisfied after that? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I need you to tell me how <laughs> this is enough. Please tell me. Um, and then she, she has like these models of food. <laughs> like She brought out two models, like plastic uh, scoops of ice cream and put them in, in, our, in one of the bowls that we would use. Was, they're very strange looking. And I thought they'd be squidgy, but they're kind of hard. It's very <laughs> weird. I was like trying to touch it. Like, oh, I don't like it. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, and it turns out that mine was probably just enough, but I, she encouraged me, like, if you have a bit more, it's not too much. I say in like quotations, too much. It's not too much. Okay. Um, so I added a little bit more because... I feel like if I don't add a little bit more, then I'm giving in to my eating disorder thoughts. Mm. Like she said that you didn't have to add a little bit more. Right. So you you shouldn't. But Ah. that probably almost definitely means I should. That is some tricky mind work. Opposite action. We've been working on, I've been working on opposite action and they encourage that a lot. So just being like, I really don't want to challenge this. So this definitely means I should challenge it even more. Mm. Yeah. Like if you struggle with ice cream, have it every day. Mm. Just have a little portion every day. Wow. Like, oh God. (laughs) Yeah, that's scary. I'm not there yet, but 
every Tuesday lunch, I've been challenging ice cream for the last three weeks. So Wow. What kind of ice cream? Chocolate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They had vanilla and the rest had uh, gluten in there and I'm gluten intolerant. So. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, I was like, vanilla, what's the point? I mean, I know people like vanilla. But yeah, some people really do like it. I'm not a huge fan. That was a safe option, but I was like, no. I don't really like it, so why would I have it? Like, this is not what real people do who aren't disordered. They don't be like, oh, I feel like I shouldn't have that ice cream because chocolate is maybe less safe. I should have the one I don't really want. Like, people, that's not normal. That's not real life. No, at least I hope not. Yeah, maybe they need to go to the clinic with me. But, yeah, so I'm like, in my head, I'm like, would a rational, sane person do this? And if I'm like, any, like, any, there's any doubt in there, I'm like... Yeah, I should I should get on that. Mm. Yeah. Which is interesting because this has been my normal for 15 years. Wow. So it's hard to yeah. to think like what do regular people do? And I'm like looking at what I how I behave and my behaviors and I'm like, "Oh, I'm really quite disordered still yeah. after such a long time." But well, every I'm day is challenge. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you're changing your entire life. <laughs> life. Yeah. Something that you've gone, like that you've just learned and it has been normal. I, the, doing something like that is brave. It's something. That's for sure. <laughs> and so, uh, but that wasn't the main topic that we wanted to discuss. No. So let's get in. Let's, let's get into it. In, yeah. <laughs> Let's just head into it. But I wanted to I wanted to discuss that a little bit because we've talked about mm -hmm. eating disorders the last uh, yeah. two podcasts. So it is cool like to see the progression of the last like so now we this is the third podcast that we've had with mm -hmm. you and you started at yes. one point and you've actually been working on yourself and and making some really awesome progress, which I think is would just be very encouraging to people who mm -hmm. could be listening that are struggling with some of the same things. Yeah, just it do just it. Shows that hope. If not now, when? Yeah, just do it. Yeah. So thank you for going into that. <laughs> and yeah, so let's go. Let's uh, let's talk a let's bit more go. about some of the the other topics, the other subjects that you were kind of hoping to hit on. I know that they are they're pretty vulnerable topics. So you just take your time and start where you I want will. to. So I wanted to talk a little about a little bit about psychological or emotional trauma. Yeah. Heavy. Everyone's like, whoa, trauma, what? Trauma. Don't turn it off. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> It'll it's be a fine. scary word, but we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so trauma is basically um there's a distressing event and it's overwhelming. The, the amount of stress that you experience is overwhelming and it exceeds your ability to cope. And that's really the dictionary definition of trauma. Okay. Um, kind of fight or flight. You could be in a fight or flight situation if, if you witness a trauma, say you witnessed a car crash, for example. Okay, yeah. Although okay. I know that people refer to just fight or flight, but I like to also add in freeze. Yes. To that. Yes. Fight, like f flight, leave a freeze. I feel like a lot of people are just like, oh, 
Yeah. You and you feel like you're paralyzed. literally glued yes. to the spot and you can't talk and you, you're not fighting or flying. Yeah. You're just freezing. You're just freezing. <laughs> and I feel like people don't mention that one enough. No, because it's a real thing. It's happened to me before. I've, I, I think each one has happened to me before. Hmm. So it's definitely a real thing. Yeah. And so you've had some traumas. Mm-hmm. Did you want to talk specifically about any of them? Don't feel like you have to. Um, yeah. I mean, my a few of the traumas that I've experienced and other things too have really shaped the way I am, both mm-hmm. in a good way and a bad way. Um, and they, a lot of them were from childhood, but some some early adulthood also. Um, I would say most of them are surrounding my mum's uh, mental illness, bipolar. Yeah. And uh, with her hospital admissions and things like that, there was a lot of trauma around various situations. And I'm trying to think of what to pick. Do I just go in hard, like the big one, or do I just kind of skirt around the edge? I'm not really sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Let's start with one that, let's uh, start with one of the initial situations that you had experienced and then, well, that's the then big we one. can head to the, <laughs> that's, the, okay, <laughs> let's head into the big one. The big one, yeah. Um, so when I was eight years old, I found my mum who'd uh, overdosed on a lot of pills. I don't remember what, probably some something. Um, probably shouldn't be specific because that's pretty triggering to some people. Um yeah, so I remember uh, she wasn't doing super well, but I didn't really know know what that meant. And before this, um, she wasn't diagnosed with anything. This was really the start. Okay. But I think she'd probably been mentally unwell since she was, like, a teenager, much like myself. Like, um, she didn't have the best time growing up. Um, and I remember she was – well, I know now that she was super depressed – and so she, my dad asked one of the bigger boys in my class to walk me home from school, <laughs> which was awesome. Like he was a character. Um, and most of the children were bigger than me because I'm really short. Uh, so you're, you're like a very tiny, cute person. I'm a tiny person. Yeah. Just like a, oh, um, FYI. Uh, a few years ago, this might be different now because children are getting crazy tall. A few years ago, I was the average height of a 12-year-old as an adult. So that now I'm is. like, maybe the 10-year-old. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Everyone's like, are you really? Are you really five feet? Five feet what? And I'm like, just five feet. No, no. Are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. A short post person knows exactly how tall they are to like the nearest like millimeter, like because we need all the help we can get. <laughs> and there is nothing better than seeing someone who is shorter than us. Ooh, it's amazing. Like the other day, I saw an adult day. who was like an inch or two shorter than me, and I was like, oh, oh we exist. <laughs> That's my people. Yeah. And she's like, oh, yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, you must have been like, hey, this is kind of what hey. taller people feel like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They have to look down all the time. I have to look up all the time. Yeah. People make jokes about, does your neck not hurt from looking up? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. 
Um, so we were talking about important things and then yes. I deflected because... Well, because it's scary. Because it is scary. Yeah. So your dad asked one of the bigger boys yes. to walk you home. Yes, his name was Simon. And I believe now he's like, he was a chef in London in the UK. Years wow. Ago. I know. Cool. Yeah. Um, but I haven't heard from him for a long time. And sorry, was this on the day that your mom had overdosed mm-hmm. that he asked Simon to walk um, home? No, he was walking me home for a few days or weeks before this. My mom was getting like pretty depressed and she didn't want to leave the house. So Okay, so she couldn't pick you up. So you yeah. asked him if he would walk you home. Okay. Yeah, and it was only like a 20 minute walk. And my mom hasn't has never driven a car before. She doesn't drive. So we would always walk. Um, yeah, so he walked me home and left me at the front door. Thank God he didn't come in. Like, that's, like, one person experiencing trauma, or for two, no, like, if, you know. Yeah, I... Because he was also eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, another yeah. eight-year-old being traumatized. Probably yeah. not, a, not a good thing. No, and he was... Uh, he was already a bit of a character, was our Simon. He was interesting. He, uh... He was nice, but he, he did pick on a lot of the other children. So he obviously already had some stuff going on. Right. Didn't really need a trauma on top of that. Right. Um, so. Yeah, so I, I remember going in uh, to my house and just hearing my mum screaming my name. And I was like, instantly, I like ran up the stairs as fast as I could. And I just looked at her and I was like, in my head, I'm like, what is happening? Like I see, I see the pill packets on the, on the ground and I, I see her, like she just didn't look like herself at all. Um, at one point she was having a seizure. I remember her just, just being so incredibly distressed. Um, cause she'd taken a lot. I mean, I know now that she'd taken a lot of pills, um, And I just remember thinking, like, what? Like, I don't know what's happening, but I know this is really, really bad. Yeah. Like, I know the medicine is should be kept out of sight and, like, arm's reach of children. And here, like, she's taken, like, tons of them and they're on the floor. And Yeah. Yeah, and she's in bed in the middle of the day and she's looking really odd and sick and weird. So why was she calling you? I think she heard me come in the door but to this day I'm not sure if she really knew that I was going to be the one to find her or not that's kind of a thought that's kind of still kind of that I battle with Yeah. why would she do it if she knew that I'd be the one to find her or maybe that she'd hoped that she'd already be dead by the time I got back but still finding a dead person isn't you know yeah. the best no um so I, I don't know. Um, maybe she was, she, at this point, she was also psychotic. So experiencing auditory and visual hallucinations. Also uh, struggling with ideas of persecution. So she would think that um, people were out to get her and she would watch the TV. And if there was like a show about crime, um, someone going to prison, she'd be like, oh, I did it. I did it. They're going to come and get me. So, like, ideas of persecution in that way. So, afterwards, we learned that she was psychotic, but perhaps beforehand she was. 
before she overdosed and and I feel like maybe that would make her be pretty out of touch with reality and not realize perhaps that I was even around or in the house or out or whatever right so it is hard because like I feel angry with her yeah but she's very sick so we don't like we're still responsible for her, for our actions, no matter what state we're in. But you can give more grace, I think, to someone who's very sick. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not in your right mind. Clearly, she was not in her right mind. Yeah. At all. <laughs> she was completely out of her mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I remember just thinking, what do I do? And... I remember running back down the stairs. My dad was at work and uh, I called my dad and I was like, I don't remember what I said, but I remember him saying, you have to call an ambulance. And I remember me being like, I can't, I can't. I'm really scared. I can't, I can't do it. And at the time I was very shy, very quiet, very socially anxious, Mm -hmm. very, yes, just trying to keep my emotions to myself and just be careful of how I acted around adults in particular so that my emotions wouldn't cause them to react in a certain way. I kind of, that's a learned behavior. Um, and I just remember him getting so angry, so incredibly angry because he was terrified. He didn't really know what was happening because like an eight-year-old trying to describe this event. Like I was, I was fairly smart, but I'd never seen anything (laughs) like this before, obviously. Hopefully. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And he called the ambulance. And um, I think the reason they didn't show up for ages is because he had no idea really what was happening. Wow. Okay. Because I I just, I don't, I remember a lot of that event very vividly, but I don't remember what I said to him on the phone. So he came home and then an out of hours doctor came to see her, who I remember was absolutely useless I remember her just just like making the situation just kind of like you know people who like flap around and they're really panicky and really anxious that's not what you want from a doctor she was that oh my gosh (laughs) I was like and I remember thinking to myself this is not a good doctor I'm eight years old if an eight-year-old can see this (laughs) in in this situation right now you are not very good yeah (laughs) maybe you're very good but not right now right um not when we need you the most um Mm. and I remember I don't remember when the ambulance came but I remember standing outside um I like waved them down and I remember the doctor came out and she like put her arm around me and I was and I don't think we said anything and then she went home and then my mum went to uh, intensive care for quite a while um she was it was kind of touch and go for a while she took a lot of pills her organs weren't happy so and they were in her system for quite a while yeah because no one came (laughs) i mean they came eventually but they went on my information which perhaps wasn't the best but well you were eight i was eight yeah and terrified as you know anyone would be at any age Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my dad went with her in the ambulance and I went to a friend's, our neighbors actually, for tea, for dinner. Um, 
And I remember just like sitting in their kitchen trying to eat and being like, I feel so awful. Like, how do I eat? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I didn't know how to tell them. Like, I feel so terrible. And I just remember like, I don't remember her name, but my friends, my neighbor's the son, his name was Chris. And then his parents, I don't remember their names, but I remember the mum just looking at me like, like she just had no idea what to do, but she was like, she was looking at me like she was sorry. And I don't know, like, you know, just like a motherly kind of look. Yeah. Um, but she didn't do anything. Um, I don't know how I would have responded anyway, because super shy, super anxious, didn't really want to be in someone else's kitchen ever. <laughs> right. Especially <laughs> after Especially that. not after a traumatizing event. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't really remember. I remember visiting her one time in intensive care and just seeing loads of wires and loads of tubes and feeling really freaked out internally because like what I'd never been in a hospital before except the day I was born. <laughs> mm. And I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't think. Um, <laughs> and I just, uh, yeah, just seeing her and being like, uh, who are you? Like, this is weird. Yeah. It's the smell of a hospital. And to this day, I think that's why I don't really like going in hospitals, like general hospitals, because yeah. that's what I associate it with. Um, yeah. So, yeah, she was there for a while. I don't know how long. Then she went to a psychiatric unit. That was her first of a few admissions. She was there maybe two or three months. Um various treatments uh medication electroconvulsive therapy which is actually very very helpful maybe we should do a whole video on that because i know lots of people think it's like barbaric and terrible it's come a long way since it, it first came people out. think it's still like that yeah right like no it's not no it used to be known as shock therapy where people yes. would convulse and break bones it was very violent and now it's electroconvulsive therapy and they, my my dad's done it a few times too. They barely move at all. Like they I've seen move. it. They just have like you've seen it. Yes. I've never seen it. As part of my training as a nurse, I went to an ECT clinic and watched. Okay, so like what I read was, they don't move. It's just like one of their feet twitches. So, sometimes, like you get a little tremor. Okay. And one one lady I saw what she said was very unusual. Her knees like like came up to her chest, like she was trying to move. Oh well. But that was very unusual and they were like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. But yeah. she, they're completely knocked out. They've had muscle relaxants. They have like a plate in their mouth so they can't bite their tongue off and things like that. Um, but yeah, so she had that and it saved her life really. Okay. Um, it dragged her out of a catatonic state where she was just, she would just sit in her room for hours just completely still barely blinking not moving just not she could barely speak she was so depressed she wouldn't eat and meds weren't helping so they were like ect this is a last resort sort of thing yeah try and get her at least a bit out of this catatonia so she can eat yeah and maybe start speaking and it, it really helped okay yeah wow mm. and when did you start to put together that there was something not right? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, by by the time I got to age 12, I think 11 or 12, that's when she had her second admission. 
Um, And by then I think I was um, very, very aware of what was happening. Um, And then a few years later, getting towards my later teenage years, I was kind of sole caregiver when I wasn't at school and my dad was at work. I would make sure that my mom ate. I would make sure that she didn't have access to sharps or pills or anything that she could potentially damage herself with. Um, I kind of made sure she was, she stayed in the house because she threatened to like abscond like quite a lot. She would just like try and get out of the house. I knew that she would just try and like run away. Okay. Um, and like, what would we do? Where we're like, she never had a phone. Like what, what, you know, what could happen there? Right. Yeah. I remember my grandparents coming down to uh, look after her and I just, (laughs) in my head I was like, hmm, this will go well. (laughs) And actually it was just me looking after now three people instead of one. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. They were like, oh my gosh, you're so strong. And I'm like, well, someone has to be. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like 14. Can we not? No? Okay. And so when... Yeah. When did the effects of the trauma start to set in? Because I know that like when you're in the situation, it's like you kind of delay Mm. the response. Yeah. So then when did you start to experience like um, the side effects? I don't know exactly. Um, But I do know that uh, prior to the age of eight, I was a very emotional child. I was always very anxious because there were other things going on prior to the trauma. Um, I was always very anxious, very shy and reserved. And my mum is also shy and reserved. So that's who I, I think I probably just learned to be that way. And, and I was thinking the other day, like if I wasn't so anxious, I think I'd be super extroverted. Really? Yeah. Wow. I know. Whoa. Okay. I was like, I act like, I don't think I'm really introverted at all. Okay. But I'm so anxious. Okay. But anyway, um, so prior to the age of eight, I would just cry at the drop of a hat. Like a teacher would only have to look at me the wrong way and I'd just start crying. Wow. Like I just, yeah, I was very emotional. And um, then the trauma happened and I just shut down. Yeah. And I'm still kind of shut down now at 28. So what what do you mean by shut down? (laughs) Emotionally shut down. I didn't really cry anymore. Like I just became even more um, reclusive, quiet, and reserved. Still felt the emotion very, very strongly. I do still feel very... I feel like... I've always felt emotion very strongly. Like, I don't really know how to describe what I mean, actually. But after the age of eight, I this was just internalized. So, you know, when it's easier just to think that someone who's really quiet and shy and not expressing themselves is absolutely fine, or they're the ones that you have to be like, what's going on? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I can't pinpoint an exact time when the effects of the trauma um, kicked in, but I do remember just not crying anymore. And what other effects have you experienced? Um, Anxiety. 
Yeah. I feel like anxiety is something that I've always had, but it's been heightened after every trauma that I've experienced. Okay. And I think part of that is like, even living in Canada as an adult, sometimes when I get a message from my family, I'm like, oh, is this the, is this the message? Is she, has she done it? Like, is she dead? Mm. Or is she in hospital? Or has she gone missing? Yeah. Even now I'm like, <gasps> oh my gosh. And usually it's fine, although sometimes people hint that she's not doing very well and I don't exactly know what that means and that's not very helpful right now because I'm in Canada and you're in England and I can't fix anyone, which you can't anyway, but I would always be there to to look after her, right? And like, who's going to do that? <laughs> the cat? Probably not. Side note, my, my parents' cat is um, adorable and... Uh, it's really good company for my mum. He's pretty cute. Anyway, awesome. I love cats. Uh, mm. Cats are awesome. I love cats too. Yeah, and I have two new kittens now. Hey, congratulations. Yeah, they're pretty cute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one of them is naughty. Yeah. Of course, there's always one. Well, it has to be one. The ginger. They're both ginger. Nice. They're very cute. <laughs> yeah. So, um... What are some of the physical effects? So when you're really anxious, you have a lot of adrenaline in your body. Mm -hmm. And it just keeps you in this like constant state of like emotional arousal. And you... (sighs) It just makes you feel like you're always on edge. And having a lot of adrenaline and cortisol running through your body um, isn't very good for your body. And I feel like I'm always, my pulse is always higher than it should be, even if I'm just like sitting down or doing nothing. That's like a side effect of having a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I feel feel like I'm always like, like on edge, like is something going to happen? Yeah. Even though it's probably not going to happen. Generalized anxiety disorder is one of my diagnoses, so... Anything and everything is can be anxiety provoking. Right. Okay. Yeah. Which is hard. It's hard to every day to be like, okay, I'm really anxious. Don't know why. Also really anxious because I have to get on a bus or I have to go to the clinic or I might be late. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not late. I'm not a late person. The being so anxious makes me usually early or like if I'm, if I'm on time, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so late. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I've noticed that in in Halifax, in Canada, people aren't on time. And it annoys the heck out of me. Like... (laughs) And everyone's like, chill out. And I'm like, no, (laughs) I want to. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That would be. It's bad. Yeah. We we actually have, like, I know a couple of people who are from England and it is like a pretty big thing that they notice. It's like, like one of our friends was um, explaining to us, it's like, you know, like when you have a party at seven, people show up before seven so that they can be ready to start the party at seven. Yeah. Go be ready for that party. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, wow. Here it's like, you have a party at seven. People show up at eight. 
Because they're like, well, it starts then. That's going to be lame for the start. I can't. So I can't do it, Ruth. I yeah. Yeah, that would be that would be difficult to. That'd be a test. <laughs> Just come at like five after seven. What? <laughs> <laughs> Why would I do that? <laughs> Why would I do that? That's funny. Um. Yeah. So I feel like there's a lot of physical stuff that can happen in your body when when you're traumatized and because it's like you're being faced with a threat a threat that you feel like you can't deal with. Mm. So you've got like the fight, flight, freeze, and then normal stress can also feel like a threat when you're so like anxious and like worry there'll be another trauma. And like having a like an exacerbated response to a normal situation, like a, a stress response to like a, an everyday situation just makes life so much harder. Yeah. Because it's exhausting. Yeah. That m- yeah. Like if I'm, if I feel like I'm going to be late to something, like I, like I just can't process that in my brain. Like I, I, I just like catastrophize like, oh, this will happen and then this terrible thing will happen and this will happen. And I'm like, none of these things are actually going to happen. In my head, I try and tell myself, none of these things are going to happen. But they might. Yeah. <laughs> like there's a tiny bit of me is like, you know, there's a really small possibility that this might happen. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely struggled with that myself. Um, and do you have any suggestions or like ideas for like, hmm. actually, sorry, before I ask this question, was there anything more that you had to share on the effects of trauma? Mm. Yeah. So uh, when you have a lot of stress, um, so like I'm really talking about childhood trauma. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, but I'm sure it applies. Um, so like if you have a lot of stress, it can like as a kid and you experience a lot of trauma, it can actually impair your, like the development of your brain and your nervous system. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. So you can, I could potentially have limited my brain from developing to its full potential. Wow. Well, not me, but... Yeah, not you. Situation. The situation. But yeah. I don't know that. And I, I feel like a lot of children might complain of... I've also worked with children who have experienced trauma. Okay. And things that we noticed were like, I've got a headache. I've got a stomach ache. Like they can't process all of this stuff. So it manifests physically. Yeah, okay. And it doesn't mean they're not, that they're not experiencing the pain because they probably are. Mm. But the pain is probably emotionally based. Yeah, Because, okay. you know, they have children. There are some children who are great at labeling and expressing emotion. But as a really young child, it's so hard. Like, they're like, I feel this thing. I don't know what it is. Like, yeah. if I don't know what it is... Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to express that. Yeah. Um, stomach ache was a favorite. Always the stomach ache. Yeah. Yeah. That was mine too. Always. And an earache. Earache. That's yeah. the new one. Interesting. Yeah. I had earaches all the time. I don't remember having earaches as a kid. I had earaches as an adult for a while. Hmm. What happens when you don't go to the doctors and you have infections that you didn't know about anyway <laughs> <laughs> fun 
Um, uh, and adults who have, uh, like me, history of childhood trauma, uh, sometimes have, well, we're more at risk of like chronic conditions, physical conditions, um, and problems like (laughs) chronic fatigue, um, which is something that I was diagnosed with a few years ago, but I'm not entirely convinced that I have it. Because it's really hard to diagnose something like that when you have depression and anxiety because you don't know what's causing the fatigue, the chronic fatigue. Right. Because with those diagnoses, they also are exhausting. So how could you ever make a concrete diagnosis of chronic fatigue? I don't know. Right, yeah. um, Yeah, I was diagnosed. I remember going back to England for a little vacation (laughs) to the doctor no (laughs) I went to the doctor and he was like I think you have chronic fatigue and I was like but I also had this this and this he was like yeah you could have chronic fatigue I'll refer you to the um there's a chronic fatigue not clinic but support group okay I don't know and I it was in England like I wasn't gonna be sticking around it's like the wait list is like you know six nine months I'm like all right (laughs) and basically he was like do graded exercise to just like start a little bit then a little bit more and actually there's a lot of research that's shown that is not um a uh, helpful tool in managing chronic fatigue um but it kind of makes sense that it would help Mm -hmm. but I, i don't really have enough knowledge to be like yeah it doesn't help because of this but do you like building up your tolerance to exercise? I mean, I guess it makes sense, but apparently it's not a thing. Interesting. Really. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of like the physical. There was a really, I wish I'd looked her up before I came. There's a lady who did a TED talk about, um, she'd invented maybe like a trauma scale or something and how at risk children were for developing chronic conditions like lots of different chronic physical conditions in adulthood and they would score points um like um for example parents got divorced death in the family death of a pet like all those kind of things that can happen Mm -hmm. and then she would add them up and be like let's like sort this like let's get them help now so perhaps they are less likely to develop these chronic physical conditions in adulthood they are pre- like literally predisposed to having because of trauma wow like heart disease seriously <laughs> things like that yeah it was very interesting she was incredible but i can't remember her name i'm sure if you just look up like ted talk trauma i think i might do that yeah <laughs> that's Wow. See, I had no idea. I didn't realize that childhood trauma would have such an effect on your physical health Mm -hmm. later. I viewed it so much, especially just for like when I, you know, when you're processing your own experiences, you figure like, well, I'm out of it now. So everything's fine and I'm fine. Her name is Nadine Burke Harris and she's a pediatrician. Okay. Yeah, we're going to... That's yeah. fascinating. I'm going to have to look that up. I would recommend her TED Talk. And she's obviously very, very knowledgeable and she's very passionate about helping children. Yeah. So 
what's her name again? Nadine. Nadine Burke Harris. Burke Nadine. with an E on the end. Nadine Burke Harris. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so then what are the things that you can do to help counteract that? I mean, so you were saying get help now, get them help now. Mm-hmm. So I assume that's therapy. Yeah. And probably some healthy routines. Yeah. Like trying to normalize life. Yeah. And it's really hard if you're still in like a, say you're still in a traumatizing kind of type situation or like the likelihood of you still experiencing trauma is high. That's really hard. Yeah. And like professionals can't do a lot about that unless there's a lot of abuse neglect then obviously they can do something about that but yeah um, yeah therapy is great there's a lot of really good child psychologists out there um that help children to label and express emotion through like drawing and Mm. games and puzzles and things like that yeah having a way to be able to express your emotion is Mm. incredible because it's it's funny because it seems like such a simple concept, but it's so it's so not it's so not especially if you're British. <laughs> We're a little stoic, perhaps a little stunted. No offense, any British any British listeners listening. will understand. Yeah, <laughs> they'll be like, yeah, I know. They're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so okay, and then. Is there anything that you can do in adulthood? Like, is it like by then it's too late? I mean, I guess it's never too late to get help. Mm. There's never too late to work through difficult things. Yeah. I feel like the longer you leave it, though, the harder it'll be. Right. Like yeah. with a lot of things in life. Yeah. Like yeah. The longer you push it down the longer you pretend it's okay and that it's fine. And maybe it didn't even really happen. I just made it up. Yeah. <laughs> didn't make it up. It really happened. And you got to deal with it. It'll just haunt you for your whole life. Mm. And it affects, it will just affect everything you do. It, yeah. yeah. So why? It affects even small decisions. Yeah. Decisions are hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm like, I, oh my gosh, why is this hard? <laughs> Yeah, should, this should not be this difficult. And you're right. probably right. <laughs> what do I wear today? Why is this so hard? Yeah. Oh, anxiety, trauma, eating disorder, body image, body dysmorphia. That's why it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Just put some damn clothes on. Go outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's um, the more I learn about this stuff, it astonishes me. Like, we really need to pay more attention mm-hmm. to how we're doing. And, like, and yeah. that, you know, putting putting words to emotions and, and, and creating a space where people can talk about these things without feeling like they have to impress or, like, they have to yes. uh, sugarcoat it. Like, that where they can actually just be very um, raw and authentic and just ask those difficult questions, state those difficult facts. Like yeah. a mental health check. Yeah. Just check in with yourself. Like, are you hurting? Are you angry? Are you tense? Are you hungry? Yeah. <laughs> are you sad? Yeah. What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's important. So we're nearing the end of the podcast, but I wanted to um, make sure that there wasn't anything else that you were hoping to cover 
before we sign off, which this went by so fast. I know. I can't believe it's nearly been an hour. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just having a conversation with a good friend. So, of course. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. It's going to go fast. It's going to go fast. But yeah, I mean, I guess we talked about the physical um, responses to trauma, but I mean, the emotional ones are kind of obvious, really. Children who've experienced trauma have difficulty identifying and expressing and managing emotions. And often if that's not something that's they get help with in childhood, childhood, it moves forward into adulthood. Like for myself, I find identifying very easy. I've always had a lot of insight. Mm-hmm. Um, expressing, terrible. Managing, a little bit less terrible, but still pretty terrible. Internalizing is my thing. I wouldn't recommend it. Mm. it's not fun you know well I'm working on it but it's it's hard yeah and sometimes I get little reminders of trauma or abuse or whatever and I'm like Ugh. yeah because those triggers still exist in your life yeah very much so yeah um yeah because you're still in contact with your mother I am yeah, yeah. kind of <laughs> we try and just like one more thing I wanted to touch on is dissociation. Okay. Um, so it's like you mentally separate, separate yourself from an experience. It's just a, a reaction to stress that can happen. Um, and it feels like, it feels like you're out of your body. Yeah. It feels like you, I personally, for me, I've been dissociating a lot, including right now, (laughs) recently. (laughs) Um, And it feels like I'm watching myself and like my voice seems echoey in my head Uh because I'm anxious and I'm just permanently anxious. But maybe dissociating is just something that I automatically fall into, which is not necessarily a good thing and if I did the grounding exercises I was supposed to do then I'd be better at not dissociating but grounding is really hard it's like recommended but it might make me express some emotion which is not something I'm like super down with right now (laughs) but I would recommend grounding and not dissociating so what do you do to ground yourself what's a grounding exercise so like people the one that people kind of know I mean, if you ask them about grounding or mindfulness, it's like the five senses. Yeah. So like, what can you see right now? What can you hear, touch, smell, taste? Um, so like I see the computer and I can see the the seconds and the milliseconds, like just really focusing on things that are to do with your five senses. Like I can hear a whirring. Mm. I can see the lights things like that okay and just like every time your mind tries to wander just really like bringing yourself back to the senses and I feel like practicing this before you are really dissociating is such a good idea but it doesn't mean you can't do it when you're start doing it when you're really dissociating but it's just more helpful to do it before um it takes a lot of practice I'm not there at all yeah but been trying a little bit more this week to do some okay that's tricky yeah i have an exercise where i have to 
put my hand on the part of my body where I feel emotional pain. Mm. And one places my throat and one places my stomach. And I absolutely hate touching my stomach, eating disorder. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's kind of like triggering and supposed to be grounding. So I got to figure out a way around that. But that's a good one. Like ah. well, this hurts. It hurts. I have to keep saying it really hurts. It hurts here. It hurts here. Describing an event. Um, what am I feeling? Where does it hurt? Just keep saying it hurts. It hurts. And yeah, mindfulness. Mindfulness. Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. Worth it. Yeah. I think maybe we should practice mindfulness daily. Absolutely. I would agree with that statement. Something that I've been trying to work on myself. And it's it's so difficult. (laughs) I have to take time for myself. (gasps) I know. (laughs) (laughs) What is this garbage? (laughs) Yeah. No, it is worth it because we're all worth it, right? We're all... We're all worth it, even though it's hard to see mm. that we are. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Did you have the advert here on the TV about, um, it was like an advert for hair dye or shampoo, and she'd be like, like waving her head around, like, look at my hair, it's so amazing, and it'd be like, you're so worth it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're worth it. <laughs> Oh, and it, worth it. Yeah, that's like, is that's it like L'Oreal or I, think it's Lor- I, I don't know? Say it's L'Oreal. <laughs> yeah. And like, so we need to take care. We need so to take some advice from L'Oreal. I can't like keep a straight face when I'm thinking I'm so worth it. And I'm just like, well, like right now you can't see me, but I am like waving my hair around in a and she has crazy fashion, long hair. So it's very <laughs> like they do on this great to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're worth it. We're worth it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Starting like <laughs> trying to believe that is so difficult. Yeah, because we get a lot of messages that we're not both yeah. internally and externally, but yeah, we just have to try and move past that and be like I am worth it. That is it. I'm worth it. Mm. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't worth it and I'm here, so I must be worth it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, breaking it down like that is really good. Rationalizing rationalize it's a skill it. i'm working on <laughs> that's really good i like that yeah so thank you you're welcome i love having you on the show i think that you're Yay. so well like you're you are very well educated and so i always learn something when i'm learn. like i mean i learn something new when i'm talking with everyone mm-hmm. um but w- having a point of view from the medical world and someone who like you clearly do your research before coming on here. So it's like <laughs> I try. Yeah. So I refresh my memory. Yeah, refre- yeah, refresh some of the things that you learned in school mm-hmm. and from working in the field. Growing up. And growing That's up. Where I got most of my knowledge. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So it's very refreshing and like I just I really appreciate you taking the time because I, I know that even you getting out here is work <laughs> yeah so i appreciate but it. you know what's well, two bus rides rides in a 20 minute walk up a hill it's all good <laughs> <laughs> it's for a good cause okay i and i like playing pokemon go so <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm <Okay>. sad <laughs> i've actually Just recently it on the way yeah i've gotten hooked on one of my kids games <sighs> yeah so now nah, I get it. It's just, it's easy to, it's easy to do. Yeah. Helps turn your brain off for a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's good. So thank you. 
You're welcome. And everybody that's listening, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And you help make this happen. And we're doing this for you. And, you know, I'm doing it for myself, too. I think that everybody that has, like, that mm-hmm. comes in, like, they say that it's it's been a good experience for them as well. Yeah. It's therapeutic. Yeah. And that makes me happy. Yeah. Talking is great. It's hard, but necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Who would have thought? I know. Especially the British. Yeah. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think like it's just, it's you, it's everyone who listens. Like these people help make this community Mm -hmm. that I really feel honored to be a part of. And I I am starting to really notice the effects of it. And it's just an incredible experience. So thank Mm -hmm. you for helping make that happen. And thank you, everybody who's listening, for helping make that happen. And just remember that wherever you are, I am just sitting here loving you. (laughs) So have a great morning, afternoon, evening, night. And I will be talking to you again soon. Love you. Bye.